Hello, hello. Welcome back, folks. This is the On Being Christian Podcast. My name's Nolan Ruby, and I'll be your host. I'm also the pastor of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City, Utah, and the On Being Christian Podcast is a ministry out of that church. The folks there are super excited to be able to have this opportunity to be able to have this platform. I'm so glad you chose to listen today. Hope you're having a wonderful summer. I cannot believe how fast my summer has gone. We did back to school shopping for the kids. The kids are getting back into that mode of schoolwork and all the different things that incorporate the greater majority of the time in our year. And all of the plans that I had for the summer, I guess if I was going to do them, I should have already done them because we're looking down the barrel of September here. And uh, once you get there, you're just kind of pushing through that first quarter uh, of schoolwork for the kids, and there's some functions at the church, and there's some travel scheduled. Um, Anyway, it's been a wonderful year. I'm not complaining at all. Right now, we are in the middle of a study out of Matthew chapter 5, a section of scripture that runs from chapter 5, verse 1, down through verse 12, commonly referred to or commonly known as the Beatitudes. And this here will be our 34th podcast, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, podcast number 34. And this time, instead of just doing the fifth installment of the Beatitudes, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to combine number five and number six, and we're going to do a two-part here for this podcast. And so we started this. This will be our our fifth installment, uh, but we're going to look at six uh, part five and part six of our study into these qualities, these attributes that are put forth by Jesus Christ himself um, in Matthew chapter five. So I'm just going to read our context and then we'll draw attention to the parts of the verses that we're going to be looking at today. Matthew chapter five, starting in verse one, I'll read down through verse 12. It says, and seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you." So we started this about a month ago, a little over a month ago, and we've worked our way through the first um, four, uh, excuse me, first six verses, first six verses. We're down to verse seven where it says this, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. The first thing I want to talk to you today about, first thing I want to draw your attention to is this idea of the merciful. This idea of the merciful. You're going to have to excuse me. <clears throat> I've got this little thing going on, and I, um, I'm i going to keep my throat. Uh, I'm going to keep coffee going down my throat here. 
uh, just to uh, allow it not to dry up. Merciful. Let's look at some terms. Let's define some things so that we're all going in the same direction. That word merciful there is a word that simply means compassionate. That's what the, the Strong's Concordance puts it at, compassionate. If I look up compassionate, 1828 dictionary description of the word compassionate, it means having a temper or a disposition to pity, inclined to show mercy, a heart that is tender and easily moved by the distresses, sufferings, wants, and infirmities of others. The infirmities of others. If I look up merciful in the 1828 dictionary, I have a definition that says having or exercising mercy, compassionate, tender, disposed to pity, uh, pity offenders and to forgive their offenses, unwilling to punish for injuries, uh, mostly applied apparently to the supreme being. It gives an example. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. That's from Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6. So we have mercy here being described in a very real way as having the right to seek retribution, but the maturity, the fortitude, the love, the heart to offer mercy in its place. The Bible says, blessed are the merciful. It goes on to say, why? For they shall obtain mercy. Now, that's an interesting direct correlation. So in this study of the Beatitudes, we've seen a lot of different reasons for why the Lord says, blessed are thee, and it gives examples of these qualities. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and you get this this kind of pendulum swing from one extreme to the other. Uh, poor in spirit here, theirs is the kingdom of heaven there. Uh, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted, verse 4 says. Uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We spent a lot of time talking about the meek, redescribing that word according to what the Bible says the original meaning of it is. It's not this timid, broken thing. It's a very confident person. And let's jump down now. Blessed are they, or excuse me, blessed are the merciful. And then the reason for those who are merciful being blessed is this, they shall obtain mercy. So in other words, my, uh, the level of mercy that I have direct access to is, is uh, directly linked to the level of mercy I offer others. That's interesting. We live in a world and sometimes in that alpha red zone personality like place where guys would make the case that they would like to be. You hear the phrase, uh, no mercy, as if it's some kind of uh, quality to be desired, that you would be such a hard person, such a, uh, a, a demanding person that you don't understand the, the value of mercy. Here's what I want you to understand. Even though you may not understand the value of being the one to offer mercy to others, here's what I guarantee you know. And if you haven't figured this out, you're getting ready to. You will at some point, if you already haven't, be in a place or in a position in life where you know that the only option you have available to you is going to be the option which is exclusively at the extent of the mercy of another person. You've messed up, 
you done went and made a big mess. You can't fix it. You can't pay for it. You can't afford it. You know you're in over your head. And the only light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, that you can see is exclusively tied to someone seeing you, pitying you, and reaching down to grab you. If you've never been there, listen, if you've never been there, then I would ask you to take a look at your relationship with God. Because that's exactly what salvation looks like, is realizing that the only option I have is the mercy of God. There's no value, there's no work ethic, there's no there's no power I'm going to bring to this relationship. God loves me. God had mercy on me. God saved me because he pitied me. I know that sometimes doesn't sit exactly well with people who like to make Christianity something that they can do. They like to make their Christianity as if they're some kind of they did God some kind of favor in becoming a Christian. When in reality, if I'm truly a Christian, someone who has accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and is living their life in accordance with the doctrine of the Word of God, then I know very intimately and very thoroughly that everything I have is nothing more and nothing less than a direct reflection of the mercy of the God of heaven. That is the literal extent of my worth. If you go back to the very first podcast on this channel, the On Being Christian podcast, and you listen to podcast number one, the title of that podcast is But God Loved Me, and it's my testimony of knowing very clearly throughout all the ups and downs of life that no matter what I was going through, no matter how little I felt I was worth or how much my ego said I was worth, subjectively, of course, the best that I've ever been able to claim is just the simple reality that I have a God who loves me. That's because I have a God who has had mercy and continues to have mercy upon me. If we jump over to Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 17, we'll look at some Bible that will define uh, some of these descriptions for us. Proverbs eleven seventeen says this. I have one more page. <clears throat> it says, The merciful man doeth good to his own soul, but he that is cruel troubleth his own soul. And that makes uh, very much, it's almost verbatim, the same concept of Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And then you see here, the merciful man doeth good to his own soul, the Bible says. But he that is cruel troubleth his own soul. So your soul, your existence, your the, the, who, how you define yourself, I want you to understand this. According to the Bible, you are responsible for that part of you. And the way in which you invest in that part of you is directly linked to how much you see the value of investing in others is worth. Okay? I don't invest in myself and come away with as much value as I would by living a life that's invested in other people. Now, at some level, you need to make sure that you are smart, that you can give yourself the things that you need, rest, reading time, knowledge, study, time with the Lord. Uh, definitely make a time with your wife or your husband, priority number one, your kids, that family uh, life needs to be number one on lockdown there. But then apart from that, your benefit, the good that you're going to do to your own soul 
is going to be directly tied to how much mercy you offer other people, how much time you invest. The merciful man doeth good, the Bible says, to his own soul, but he that is cruel troubleth his own flesh. Let's look up that word cruel, because I'm getting an idea that that might be a word that has uh, <clears throat> that has paid the price of uh, re redefining in our culture. Cruel. All right, let's see here. Cruel is simply defined as disposed to give pain to others in body or mind, willing or pleased to torment, vex, or afflict. Destitute of pity. There it is right there. Destitute of pity or compassion or kindness. Fierce, ferocious, savage, barbaric, heart uh, excuse me, hard-hearted. These are all the things described as cruel. Folks, we live in a world that does its very dead-level best to make people fierce and ferocious and savage and barbaric and hard-hearted. And then it says that these qualities are qualities that are good. It makes a man a man or it makes someone a force to be reckoned with. That's nonsense. That's nonsense. The Bible defines that that level of worldly attractiveness to kind of a stoic mindset as cruel. It's cruel. It's destitute of pity and compassion and kindness. And so when I behave in a way that's destitute of pity and compassion and kindness, the Bible says that uh, I trouble my own flesh. Sometimes we like uh, we, 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 we don't understand that the biggest problems in our life are directly linked to our lack of obedience to the Word of God. The biggest issues that we have in our life are directly linked to us not understanding the responsibility that we had, in this case, to be kind, to be a man of pity and compassion and kindness. I am a chaplain for the Salt Lake City Police Department, and I have been out with the police uh, many times. And one of the things that I have noticed is that the police officers, and the Salt Lake Police Department is fantastic, uh, very much at the top of professionalism, in my opinion, uh, as far as my interaction with them, and my interaction has been exclusively with those on patrol, the officers, um, they, the, the ones who I have really enjoyed working with are those ones who go into situations dealing with difficult people with compassion and pity and, and kindness. They have the best results, and they go home with a clean conscience. Now, sometimes people, uh, especially emotionally heightened people, difficult people, will create a situation where you you can't be as compassionate as you'd like to be. We've got to you know be a little bit forceful. But even in those situations where they've had to become forceful, uh, the ones that have that have very been very successful at their job for over you know decades have often connected with that person and offered them just a kind word or a word of hope or encouragement at the end of dealing with them if if the person's in a place to accept it. And most are. What's my point? My point here is, folks, the the success that you have in this life. The mercy that you will uh, receive, and I guarantee you that at some point you're going to need mercy. 
the mercy that you're going to have that access, the, the, the level of mercy that you have access to is going to be directly linked to the level of mercy that you offer those around you. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I want to show you some Bible verses, and there's a lot here that I want to look at. But all of the Bible verses that I'm going to show you now are going to be mercy shown and then mercy remembered. Mercy shown and then mercy remembered. Let's see if I can jump over to where I, I need to be. Someone told me one time, you know what you need to do? You need to just use a computer. It'll be faster. Well, here's my, here's my thought on that. The person who told me that probably doesn't understand that I am not a computer guy. I am a paper and pen guy, always have been, always probably will be, but I'm giving it a shot today to just try to see if this allows me to move a little faster. 2 Samuel chapter 22, uh, and I'll start in verse 6. 2 Samuel 22 and verse 6, look what it says here. The sorrows of hell compassed me about, the snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God, and he did hear my voice out of his temple, and my cry did enter into his ears. It's an interesting verse. You see the, the correlation here. David is writing this, and he's very much articulating that when he needed mercy, the mercy that he received was directly linked to the mercy that he had offered. You see the same thing over in uh, the book of Psalms. You go to uh, the 18th Psalm and verse 25. The 18th Psalm and verse 25. <clears throat> the Bible says here, With the mercy thou wilt show thyself merciful. Excuse me. With the merciful thou wilt show thyself merciful. With an upright man thou wilt show thyself upright. I want you to see the correlation there. With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. And so when I'm, when I'm offering mercy, mercy offered is mercy remembered. With the upright man or with an upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. These are the things that they come back to me. Listen, I don't believe in karma. I don't believe in most of those types of definitions are people looking for some way to make sense of Bible truth without believing the Bible. But the Bible does say that which you sow is that which you reap. And the mercy that you approach others with is the mercy that you have access to in the day in which you need it. If you jump over to uh, Psalm 37, Psalm 37, I'll jump down to uh, verse 23 through 26. Look what the Bible says here. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young, and now am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is very merciful, and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Notice there. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He delighteth in his way. The good man delights in the way of the Lord. He will fall. It's just a matter of time. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are human, you will fail. It's part of the human experience. You will fall. 
But the worst type of failure, the only type of failure that matters is the type of failure that you don't get up from. You're going to fall. You're going to fail. But praise the Lord for his mercy. He made it possible by his grace for you and I to get up again. Though he fall, verse 24 says, he shall not be utterly cast down. Why? For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Now, I'm 100% convinced that I am human, that I am uh, a sinner, and that I will make mistakes. Uh, I have a track record that proves my point. When I make those mistakes, I don't want to make less of them than what needs to be said about them. I don't want to uh, make light of them. I'm not trying to justify my mistakes. But when I make mistakes, I do want to know that it's a mistake and that I can go to the Lord and that I can confess that and ask for forgiveness, and I can stand back up and move on. Here's what I want you to understand. When I live a life that is so demanding and demeaning of everyone else around me, when I go to the Lord, when you make a mistake as an alpha-type, red personality guy, when you make a mistake and you go to the Lord— and you ask for him to help you stand back up, you might find the Lord says to you, yes, I will, but before that ever is available to you, you're going to have to go back and help everybody else stand up that you denied. And that's one of the things, folks, you got to understand, dealing with the Lord, you're dealing with someone who's perfect. You're dealing with uh, the God of heaven that is a perfect objective recollection of every single thing you've ever done or not done or said or not said or or thought or didn't think. And when you get into a place where you fall and you fail and you need help and you will, and you go to the Lord and you say, please forgive me and help me get back up. I need you. He'll say, yes, of course, I will do that. My word promises that I will do that. And I am not a liar. Here's the stipulation. All the mercy that you've denied everyone else, before you can have any from me, you need to go fix it with them. Oh, sometimes we live lives of defeat because we won't offer people mercy that we so desperately want ourselves. And that's a sad story. That's a sad story. If you jump over to Luke chapter 6. Luke, let me jump down there for a second. Luke chapter 6, and we'll jump down. Let me make sure I'm where I need to be here. Chapter 6, verse 36, down through verse 38. Start in verse 36. It says, Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. You see this correlation. It's right there in front of us. Verse 38 says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye met with all, it shall be measured to you again. Folks, this is, this is something I need you to understand. The way in which you choose to live life, the way in which you choose to be merciful to others or to not be merciful to others is going to be directly reflected by the mercy that you yourself receive. Now, I have never met a person that... Uh, so there's some verses in the Bible that everyone seems to know. 
some verses in the Bible in which I will I'll be talking to somebody and and they're not really religious or or believe in God or believe in the Bible, but yet they'll know these verses. And it seems like everyone I've ever met knows Luke 6:37, but just those first two words, judge not. And they'll wave their finger at me when I'm trying to talk to them about things of the Bible and they'll say, "Well, the Bible says judge not." Okay, well, that's true, and I agree with you. I agree with you. In fact, Jesus Christ himself said he did not come to uh, judge. He also said there's a word that will be your judge, the word of God. And so there is going to be judgment, and then judgment belongs to the only perfect righteous one, and that's the God of heaven, Jesus Christ, our Savior. He will be the one who rules with a rod of iron, the Bible says. He will judge. But the context of verse 37 says, judge not, and ye shall not be judged. And so when you start feeling convicted by the word of God and punch back by telling somebody to not judge you, is that not in an essence, you yourself being a little bit judgmental? Judge not, ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. So on the Christian side, my job is not to judge people. I am not the judge. God is the judge. I don't have the right to be the judge. I'm not perfect. The Word of God, the Bible says the Word of God will be the judge. Okay, what's my job? Well, I have to live according to the Word of God, and I've got two eyes and a brain in my head, and I can see if your life or my life is not in keeping with the Word of God, then I know that that's not right. That doesn't make me your judge. That just makes me someone who can see objective truth. So if I choose to live according to the Word of God, I'm going to see things that aren't right. I can come and talk to you and say, hey, you know, the Bible has this to say about some of the decisions that you're making, something you might want to think about. Your life, your decisions, it's not going to make me not love you. It's not going to make me not be your friend. But it is going to, when you make decisions contrary to what the Bible says, you're going to answer for that. Not to me, but to the Lord. So my job is not to judge. Judge not, ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Here's the, the positive side of it. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. You see how that works. My forgiveness, and I guarantee you, if you haven't already accepted this, because I've said it five or six times, your forgiveness, and when you need it, you'll know you need it because that's the only thing you need, is linked to every action you offer others prior to the day you yourself need it. You can't go back and fix the things you didn't do when your day comes when you need forgiveness and mercy. But if I live a life focused on Jesus Christ, humble and broken and a contrite heart, forgiving other people, willing to forgive them, then when the day comes when I prove to you and God and everybody else who's watching that I'm nothing more than human, if I can be forgiving before that day comes, the Bible says, I shall be forgiven. Verse 38 says, give, and it shall be given. And then it describes what shall be given. And then it says, uh, with the same measure that ye met. That's a word for measuring out. With the same things that you offer others, with all it will be measured to you again. And so to say a phrase that's not found in the Bible, but something that you would understand Ladies and gentlemen, what goes around does, in fact, very much indeed come back around. And so when I need the things coming back around to be positive in my life, 
then before I mess up, I need to understand that on a long enough timeline, I'm going to mess up. It's just mathematical certainty. I'm human. I'm not perfect. And when I need forgiveness, I sure very much would like to have access to it before I'm on my face begging for it. Matthew chapter 6, 14 through 15, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Now, I want to make just a, a simple comment on that. I think that's self-explanatory as far as the value of it. But here's my comment on that. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I, we did not pay for sin. Jesus Christ, with his life on the cross, paid the debt of sin. Okay, With his shed blood, he paid the debt of sin. He can forgive sin because he paid for it. You and I, we cannot forgive sin, but we can be forgiving towards the sinner and in a spirit of prayer that God would forgive them. So there's this concept that I'm trying to walk this line and thread this needle. Some of the things that I have heard in Christianity has been along the lines of, well, they didn't ask for forgiveness, so I can't give forgiveness. Listen, even if they ask for forgiveness, you don't have the power to give it. You can't forgive sin. You yourself, you and I, we are sinners and in need of forgiveness. So we cannot offer, uh, the, the, the idea is we can't offer something that's not been asked for. Okay, I get that. I understand that. But that's with respect to us versus Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ promised that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what the, that's what the Bible says. That's his power. That power doesn't belong to me. So what's my power? Well, my power is that I can approach someone with humility and love and compassion and pity. And I can be willing and ready in my heart to be forgiving so that that wrong or perceived wrong that they uh, enacted against me doesn't end up being a, a form of victimization that I allow to define me over long periods of time. Forgiveness is one of the very most powerful things to make sure that you're free of the things that have happened to you in your life. The lack of forgiveness will inevitably lead to a very bitter mindset, and it has been said before, bitterness or extreme anger at that level is like drinking poison, hoping the other guy dies. He's fine. He's on his two feet. He's doing fine. Your anger is hurting you more than it's hurting anyone else. You say, well, I, I can't forgive. Well, now you're getting somewhere. Because I don't believe it's a human thing. I believe it's divine. And you're going to need the hand of God in your life in order to be able to understand the value of forgiveness. In fact, in that same context, Matthew chapter 6, if we look at verse 12, it says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's directly linked. Our forgiveness, in many ways, directly linked to how forgiving we desire to be to other people. So mercy shown is mercy received. According to our text in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, blessed are the merciful. Why are they blessed? Because they shall obtain mercy. It must be remembered who the Father of mercy is and who says that mercy will be met with mercy. 
It's not man that says this. It's God that says this. Because God owns the market on mercy. He owns forgiveness. If you jump over, let's see here. Psalm 25. Psalm 25. I'm going to jump down and read verse 6. Psalm 25 and verse 6. The Bible says, Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindness, for they have been ever of old. Tender mercies. Have you, uh, do you know what the phrase bedside manner is? If you've ever been hurt or injured or sick and you found yourself in the hospital, uh, my chances are you had a, a nurse who understood the value of a bedside manner. Chances are that you also had a nurse that didn't understand that value. Okay? The one that I guarantee you, you felt the most comforted by is the one who understand that tenderness that you were in need of at a very vulnerable point in your life. And that's exactly what the Bible says the mercy of God is. It's tender. It's tender. And usually when you need mercy, you're at a very vulnerable point. And when you're at that vulnerable point, you sure would appreciate a tender hand. So if you know that you would like that, then is it so unrealistic to ask you to be tender toward others in your life? Matthew chapter 51, excuse me, Psalm, the 51st Psalm, verse 1, Bible says this, to the chief musician, a Psalm of David with Nathan the prophet, came unto him after he had gone to Bathsheba, have mercy upon me, O God, according to the loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. If you don't know the story, Bathsheba was uh, um, the wife of a man named Uriah, and Uriah went forth to war, and David did not. And through uh, an unfolding of circumstances, David saw her in a compromising uh, situation, and he sent for her, and she came to him, and he committed adultery with her, and as a result of that adultery, she became pregnant. David got pretty nervous because he knew that she was another man's wife, so he called for uh, her husband, Uriah, to come back from the front, and he got him drunk and tried to get Uriah to sleep with his wife, but Uriah was a man of integrity, and so Uriah uh, would not go into his wife. as he, and The Bible says, as long as my men are in the field, I'm not going to go in here and do this. And, uh, and so David decided, well, that didn't work, so he uh, went the next option. He sent Uriah back to the front with a letter that he was supposed to give the general, a man named Joab. And uh, Joab received the letter at the hand of Uriah, and the letter told Joab, put Uriah in the hottest part of the battle and then pull back everybody from him. And he did it, and of course, Uriah died. Uriah was murdered by his the hand of the enemy, by the compliance of a general and the command of David. And when this all came to light and David was confronted with his sin, the first thing he said, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, 
according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. He goes on to say, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me... A clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. He goes on, but I think that's enough for now. David was broken. David understood that he had done horrible. And the first thing that he did was ask for mercy. I want you to understand, if you go back and you look at David's life, there was many instances in David's life where he offered mercy when he didn't necessarily need to. And as a result of that, David obtained mercy. There was judgment. There was things that he put into place that did go full circle. The child that Bathsheba conceived as a result of that affair, uh, died. So sometimes somebody once told me, you can choose the sin, but you can never choose the payment. But what you can choose is to be a merciful Christian, a kind and forgiving Christian, because one day that's what you will need. If you go to Psalm 77 and verse 9, the Bible says, Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in his anger shut up his tender mercies? No, he hasn't. He hasn't. He is tender. He is merciful. But if I live my life with no acknowledgement, evident by my lack of pity in the lives of others, with no acknowledgement to to the value of mercy, then how do I expect to be able to go to God and claim that mercy, claim that forgiveness when I have no forgiveness or mercy towards anyone else in my life. It just doesn't work that way. Psalm 79 uh, and verse 8, the Bible says here, Oh, remember not against us former iniquities. Let thy tender mercies speedily prevent us, for we are brought very low. Have you ever been brought low? I'm talking the type of low that changes you. How did you come out of it? Might I presume that there was someone in your life who reached a very kind and understanding hand down and grasped a hold of you, pulled you out? For me, that was none other than Jesus Christ reached down into the pit that I had crawled into and with tender love and mercy pulled me out. Amen. Psalm 103, 
Let's go there. Psalm 103. The, of course, the Psalms are full of these. The Bible refers to David as a man after God's own heart, and it's for a lot of these reasons which are being articulated. Psalm 103, verse 4, Who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Boy, that word tender there is a word that means compassion by implication. It's bowels of mercy and love. When you are drawn to another person, the Bible talks a lot about the type of person that was drawn to David. First Samuel chapter 22 and verse 2 talks about the type of men that were drawn to David. They were, uh, they were distressed. They were in debt. They were uh, um, cast out. They, the, the, the world that they lived in didn't really accept them. And, they, and David said, nah, I'll take them. I'll take them. And he built the world's finest fighting force out of those distressed and in debt and displeased and dissatisfied men because he was merciful and he was kind and he was compassionate and he offered second chances, third chances, 101st chances. I have made a fool of myself many times in my life and I have been not a wonderful Christian and, and, and had a bad testimony for my Savior for which I am ashamed. But in all of those instances, when I have fallen on my face, the Lord has been merciful to me and kind to me. He has showed me the value of forgiveness and tenderness and kindness and compassion. And I can only hope that in my life I somehow understand that value and offer it to others. Here's the thing I want you to remember. Most of the time, people who are in need of compassion and tenderness are not in the most pretty places of life. And so being a man of compassion, being a, a Christian who understands forgiveness and mercy, being the one who is blessed, uh, as, as Matthew chapter 5, verse 7 says, our context, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Being that person most likely, if not inevitably, always will mean being the person who's not afraid to get their hands dirty because people who need mercy are not usually in the most comfortable places of life. Do you understand the value of showing tender compassion? Do you understand the value to showing tender compassion to one in need? Have you ever had tender compassion shown to you in an hour when you had nothing else to offer? If you have, then you understand the value of mercy. You understand the value of tenderness and compassion. If you've been in a vulnerable place in your life and someone was kind to you, then it, would it be too much to ask that in someone else's vulnerable hour, the Lord might use you to be merciful and compassionate to them? If you allow that, then when your hour comes, you will also receive mercy. The reason I wanted to do that one in conjunction with the next one is because I believe they go together. The next one is found in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And the ultimate form of mercy is to be able to one day see our heavenly Father, which is why I believe these go together. And so who gets to see our Heavenly Father? The Bible says the pure in heart do. 
Blessed are the pure in heart. Pure is a word that simply means clean and clear. The 1828 dictionary describes it separately as a free, uh, free from mixture, not sullied or tarnished. It's guiltless. So blessed are they who are not sullied and tarnished. They're guiltless. Blessed are they that are clean and clear. They're pure in heart. What does it take to be pure in heart? It's really the question that I believe we might need to ask ourselves. Is it not? Let's go over to Psalm 15, just for some clarification on this. Psalm 15, uh, and I believe it's the, yeah, it's the whole psalm. It's just five verses. It's a psalm of David. He said, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. There's a five verses right there that describe what it means to be pure in heart, what it means to be able to abide in thy tabernacle, dwell in his holy hill, worketh righteousness, what righteousness, walk uprightly, speaketh the truth in his heart. What does it take to do these things? It's beyond us, folks. It takes Christ in us. It takes us dying to self and accepting Christ as our Savior, becoming, as the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, a new creature. Behold, old things are passed away. All things are become new. The only time this word, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, <clears throat> concerning this section of Scripture, the idea very much being uh, from, Matthew, from Psalm 15, 1 through 5, the idea very much being that the man which walks separately before God and of his own accord is awarded by the Lord. The man who can be trusted and turned to because he has no inappropriate loyalties which hold him back or restrict him is the man the Bible describes as pure in heart. Pure in heart. I can be used by the Lord for the Lord's purposes because I understand that his purposes are more important than my purposes, and I approach life and situations with other people understanding that I'm doing this by the hand of God, which means it's for his purposes, his words, his agenda that I should be saying, not my own. I think we get in trouble sometimes, especially pastors, because we believe that we can help anybody. And sometimes that idea gets into ourself, and we think we are the ones who are offering help. Listen to me now. When you forget that it's not you who's helping other people, but God through you helping them, then you won't be helping people very long because the pure in heart are the ones God uses, and the pure in heart are free of inappropriate loyalties or undue ties to other things that control them to include their self and their own agenda which is a big thing. I understand that. It's a big thing. People one of the the pastor that one of the pastors that I was raised under wrote a book, The Most Dangerous Time in a Man's Life. And the context of it, the idea was there's two well there's more to it, but there's two things that I remembered from it. One was one of the most dangerous times in a man's life is a time right after success. 
Because if you're not careful, you believe that maybe you had something to do with that. The other time in a man's life that's very dangerous is when he's very mature in the things of the Lord, and he can run from off the cuff and, uh, and kind of do things. If you're not careful, you'll get seven, eight, nine, ten years down the road of maturity and realize one day you're not offering people the Word of God anymore. You're offering them your own word, your own systems, your own ideas. You you put everything into job descriptions as if the Bible didn't describe our job thoroughly enough. Interesting thought. Interesting thought. Psalm chapter 24 gives us a little more on this. Psalm 24, 3 through 5, the Bible says, "'Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord?' Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Who shall ascend? It says the same thing in Psalm 15. Who? Who, who gets the right to do this? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Clean hands... That means my hands aren't tied down by other things. My hands aren't uh, occupied because I've given myself over to loyalties somewhere else other than the doctrine of the Word of God. I think one of the problems we have, especially from the pulpits across America, is pastors are bought and paid for. They don't want to make the head deacon mad. They don't want to make the board mad. If you are a church that has a board, I personally... I don't. That's not biblical. That's for another time. If you, we've got pastors that are they're bought and paid for, and they can't make certain people mad. They can't go against the grain too much, because they're not the one who's actually answering for the church. They're just an employee of it, and that's not right. Pastors, you're not in charge. The Lord's in charge, but you will give an account. And if you let someone get between you and the Lord in your church. And they have more say, more control, more, more oversight than you do, and you didn't delegate that to them, you're wrong, and you've got a fight that you're scared to face. Pure in heart means untied down, unoccupied, un, unpaid for. I, I'm, I'm paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, and I belong to him and him alone, and he's the one I answer to. If I'm bought and paid for, I'm going to have a real hard time being merciful to the ones the Lord told me to be merciful to. If I'm trying to impress anyone else besides my Heavenly Father, then I'm in this for the wrong reasons. Clean hands, pure heart. Hebrews chapter 12 gives us a little more on this. Let's jump down. Let me see. Hebrews chapter 12. And I think we'll go down to verse 14, Hebrews 12 and verse 14. I'll read 14 through 16. Let's see what the Bible says here. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby Many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Interesting. 
Interesting. He sold what was his. He sold it for temporary fulfillment. The Bible says there in verse 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. If I'm supposed to be the guy that connects the Lord to people and connects people to the Lord, then I need to do that in the way the Bible told me to. And the Bible told me to do that by following peace with all men, but not at the expense of holiness. One of our former presidents said, he who would sell his freedom for safety deserves neither freedom nor safety. I would take it further than that. If you're willing for the comforts of life to get rid of freedom and liberty, then you won't have not only freedom and liberty very long, but you won't have those comforts either. Same thing in the Christian life. If I'm willing to pacify influences in my life at a greater level than I am willing to obey the doctrine of the Word of God, then I won't have any of the things the Lord's called me to do for very long. Pure in heart means free from influence apart from that of the Word of God. Clean hands. Clean is a word that means innocent and free and blameless. Peace, as we found in Hebrews chapter 12, prosperity and quietness quietness. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Let's go and read that. Romans chapter 12 and verse 18 says this, if it be possible, as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. The verse right before that says, Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. And then it goes on to say, If it be possible, as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. Verse 19 says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You must always remember that your motives, folks, must be tied into the purposes of the Lord. If if that's being done, that means you, you're buried in the Word of God, you understand the Word of God, you're looking for your solutions, your answers, your agendas, your, your systems, they're all coming from the Word of God, not some denominational whatever, not some teacher coming from the Word of God. That's what the Baptist faith is about, the Bible, okay? If you're coming at life from the doctrine of the Word of God, and that's the only thing that my hands are tied to, then I can approach every situation, whether it's a good or bad situation, whether it's a peaceful or an unpeaceful situation, I can approach it from the perspective of overcoming evil with good. As soon as I become vengeful, as soon as I become agenda-driven, as soon as I'm trying to fulfill a purpose that I have decided is more important than what the Bible says, my hands are not pure, my hands are not clean, my heart is not pure, and I will be affected by my own deceit. Probably, I'll probably buy into my own lies before I can actually sell them to anyone else, which is why telling yourself those lies is so dangerous. 2 Timothy chapter 2, let's look at what that says, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and if I pick that up, 
in verse 22, 2 Timothy 2.22. Look what it says here. Flee also youthful lust, follow, uh, excuse me, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord. And look what it says here, out of a pure heart. A pure heart. Listen, if you've got a pure heart before the Lord, you're not tied down or connected to anything else, you're going to have the freedom to be merciful and forgiving to other people. If you do not have clean hands and a pure heart, then you're going to have a really hard time offering mercy and compassion and understanding to others. Our text for the pure heart was Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If I am approaching life from the perspective that what I want matters more than what God wants, then don't be surprised when you get to the end of life and it's not God you see. Boy, that's heartbreaking, isn't it? We like to try to define ourselves in ways that, that are positive and, and put ourselves in a, a good light. But the Bible describes, describes the natural man, a man without Christ, as anything but positive. Folks, one of the things that you and I, that Christian culture needs to understand is that God did not accept us just the way we are. He died to save us from just the way we are. If I'm going to be a man of mercy, compassion, and empathy, and pity, if I'm going to be a man of a pure heart with clean hands, I can't be tied to things that control me. I can't be afraid of what someone else's opinion is going to be. I've made just passing comments to a group of people here in Salt Lake that that I was involved with for a little bit, and this is one of the biggest factors. Uh, they very much, very clearly, had no intention of being pastored. They didn't want a pastor. They didn't want a leader. They were in charge. They wanted someone who worked for them, who did what they said they were uh, did did what they were told to do, um, and just put on a good show. In fact, one of the comments that got made to me by that group was. Everything was fine. We had no confrontation until you were here. And I think to myself, okay, so the Word of God is, by definition, a very controversial book. You go through the Bible, and the Bible is going to confront you. It's going to confront your natural man. It's going to confront the things that you think are right. In two places in Proverbs, it says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man. There in thereof are the ways of death. It's going to challenge you and convict you. It's going to comfort you, but not at the price of truth. It will always be truthful. The Word of God is always going to be truthful with you. If you can go to church for five, six, seven, ten years and never be confronted by the Word of God, from across the pulpit, which the preacher usually gets blamed for, then why are you even going to church? What is the point? If you haven't given the God of heaven permission to challenge you and convict you and change you, then why are you claiming to be a Christian? Christians understand that they're going to fail, they're going to fall, they're going to need mercy. 
And so they go through life offering that mercy to others. They understand that they're human and that they are not the judge and that it is not their job to, uh, to condemn or to seek revenge. And in understanding these things, it gives me, it puts me in a place where I can be a man of mercy and compassion and pity, and I can reach those people who are in vulnerable places of life because my heart and my hands are pure and clean. You see how these work together, folks? They work together. You have to have a pure heart to serve the Lord. To have a pure heart, you must have the Lord in your heart because the Bible says over in the Old Testament, uh, the heart of man is desperately wicked, and who can know it? I think one of the greatest injustices we did some of our uh, later generations in America is this ridiculous idea that we just follow your heart and everything will be fine. That's not true. Your heart, the Bible says, desperately wicked, and who can know it? Least of which, in many cases, you. So if I understand being a Christian means being a man of empathy and love and compassion and pity and mercy— then I need to know that those aren't me naturally. Those are all qualities that belong to our Heavenly Father. And so if I'm going to have those qualities, it's going to be because my Heavenly Father, through His mercy and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, He shows those qualities through me. I am nothing more than His servant, and He gets to use me for His purposes, not mine. How do I stay there? How do I stay in that place of serving the Lord Jesus Christ? Clean hands and a pure heart. I have to have clean hands and a pure heart. Blessed are they with a pure heart, for they shall see God. What does that mean? I have to be free of outside influence to include the influence of my own agendas, my own experience, my own victories and maturity. I have to be free of those things, entirely, completely, dependently focused on the Savior. That's what it means to be a Christian. And the Bible says, blessed are they who have these things figured out. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I think I'm going to jump into kind of uh, the assumption waters here, but I assume that the goal for you is to, at the end of life, see God. I'm going to make that assumption. I hope I'm not uh, overreaching. I'm going to assume that that is what you would like to do, that you would like to see God. I'm also going to assume that you understand the value of mercy when you need it. Here's what I'll say about that. If you don't, you just wait a little longer. Life will show you that you are in need of that mercy. If I know that I'm in need of the mercy of God and I know that I want to see God at the end of all this, then I must first start by accepting Jesus Christ and then being a man of mercy and compassion and empathy and care. And that means loving people who sometimes the world would describe as un unlovely. To do that, I have to have a pure heart and clean hands, which means I can't be influenced by anything else apart from the Word of God. That's it. That's the, that's the thing in my life that makes me a Christian. The following of the Savior. The Bible wrote, or God wrote the Bible for me to be able to follow him. 
And so I have these two things, these two installments. Point number five, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And point number six, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We will pick it up there next time with verse number nine, which says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. I've been looking forward to that one. That's one of my favorite ones. I hope that this has been useful to you. I hope it's been a blessing. Uh, if there's any questions that you have regarding this content, you can reach me at wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com. That's W-A-S-A-T-C-H, frontbaptistchurch.com. My name is Nolan Ruby. I'm the pastor. Um, I have a direct line that comes right to the office here, uh, right to the phone here in my office. I also have an email address listed there, uh, pastorruby at wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com. I'd love to hear from you. Um, also, if, if there's anything that you'd like to uh, re- ask regarding the content, questions you'd like to um, have answered, I'll do my best. I try to get back to all of the people that write in and ask questions. Um, if it's been helpful, let me know. That's also very nice from, from my perspective to know that uh, it's been helpful. I hope you have a wonderful week. I hope you go uh, in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and that he gives you opportunities to put these things into practice, to be merciful and to exercise a pure heart before others. Let's pray, and we'll be all done. Father, thank you so much for every amount of grace and mercy that you've offered me personally, those things that I don't even know to thank you for. Father, we leave it all in your hands, and we would ask that you would teach us how to be Christians worthy of your sacrifice, which we can never be, but we can certainly seek it. In your name, amen. See you later, folks. Have a good day.